Well, good morning, and thanks so much for joining us on this Thursday morning, making our way through another work week. And uh, this week, we have had quite a few discussions right here on the show with you about harm reduction. And this this whole notion and, and discussion about harm reduction, I would say, was kicked off by the government of Saskatchewan's announcement recently that they will no longer be funding the provision of clean crack pipes, meth pipes, basically safe inhalation kits, and any informational material on how to use drugs safely. That's met with a lot of people saying that's the wrong way to go. I had a great conversation Tuesday with Daniel Hearn and Donna Gilchrist, hosts of Hard Knocks Talks, a podcast. They're drug policy advocates who share their lived experience with substance use disorders. These two don't support this move by the government. I, I've been vocal saying that I think the province is doing such a good job in so many ways. They are standing up new treatment centers, digging into addictions, finding ways, not just these, you know, what I will call cookie cutter short programs. Some of these are, are 16 week addiction centers, the largest our province has ever seen. They are really moving in a good direction. I've got a couple of close people that I talk to regularly. Rand Teed, who we've had on this show, is one of them, who agrees that the province is going in the right direction. But I am scratching my head at the decision to scale back in certain areas of, of harm reduction. So we know there's another side to this, and that's what we're going to talk in and about this morning. Dr. Carson McPherson is the CEO of Rosk Solutions Group. Dr. McPherson has been collaborating with the government of Saskatchewan to help shape the province's new strategy when it comes to dealing with the current addictions and overdose crisis that we're facing. His company has been the leading organization supporting the Alberta government as they transition to a recovery-oriented system of care over the last couple of years. And Dr. McPherson joins me this morning. Thanks so much, doctor, for being here. Happy to be here. So let's, first things first, what is the philosophy? I've, I'm hearing lots about a recovery-oriented system of care. People are are lauding uh, this notion. To, to help us understand what is it about. Yeah, uh, recovery-oriented system of care is really an approach that appreciates the context of which addiction and recovery unfold. You know, it's a move away from the uh, strictly biomedical uh, approach to treating addiction and initiating recovery to a more biopsychosocial, spiritual aspect. And it appreciates not only the individual, but the context around that individual that, you know, supports, you know, both the initiation of addiction, but also the initiation and sustainment of recovery. And you can think about things like family systems, community systems, workplace systems. You know, it looks at uh, the locus of services, right? You think about the traditional sort of bricks and mortar versus, you know, rural and remote communities across Saskatchewan and how services can be, not only expanded into those areas or milieus like the correctional population, but also a fully integrated continuum. One of the one of the key aspects of a of a recovery oriented system of care or, or a ROSC, as you'll hear it, is this integrated chronic approach for chronic disorders. Right in the, in traditionally in addictions, we've been uh, faced with this series of like high acuity, short term episodes of care for something that we know is a chronic approach. And, you know, when we look at addiction, when it's treated like a chronic disease, as a recovery-oriented system of care does, it has very positive outcomes that are similar to other chronic conditions like heart disease and cancers. So you've touched on it, but I just build on that a little bit more, doctor. What is different? In, in a nutshell, if you can give us just a quick 
glimpse into maybe a not a specific case, but but give me an example of what is different in the ROSC system versus what we have and what we've been using traditionally. Yeah, I mean, you know, first and foremost, it's a move away from the, the notion of these shorter-term 28-day, you know, highly siloed programs where individuals come in and the expectation is that they'll come out the other side and be able to sort of self-sustain. These are programs that are, are interconnected by definition. So, you know, there's not there's multiple nodes within the system, but the, the communication of, uh, of client information and progress between clinicians and, and service providers is seamless. So when an individual goes from one instance of care to another, they're not restarting or they're, they're, they're not, you know, going into an approach that maybe wouldn't be appropriate. There, it's a continuum of care that's really uh, along the trajectory of addiction to, to move someone into a state of recovery. It's a focus on wellness of the individual, right? We don't, it's not just a focus on the, the supply side and the drug side, but it's a focus on demand reduction and the factors and forces in someone's life that are going to lead to sustainable offset and return to positive citizenry. Dr. Carson McPherson is my guest this morning. So how do you see in a ROSC system, how do you see harm reduction efforts fitting into that? Yeah, I think there, I think there's a big misconception that harm reduction doesn't have a role to play in a ROSC system, and then that's categorically false. But I, I think what you're seeing in Saskatchewan right now is everyone taking a step back and saying, look, we want to take a methodical approach to this. Right. We want to we want to make sure that all of the interventions along that continuum, be it harm reduction or not, are in a way that best suits the needs of the individual, the community, the province, and the health and well-being that's going to lead to uh, to sustainable offset. Right. So I, I, I saw an interview where you talked about it's fine to meet someone where they're at, but you can't leave them there. I think that was the quote where, where you said that. So my question is, and, and the notion of harm reduction, of course, is trying to minimize risk for the individual while they they get into some way that they can be treated, cared for, and ultimately uh, helped to get healthy. And in my previous life, I was worked in policing for a number of years. I often talked about uh, that harm reduction, no different than policing, is an important part of the drug issues that we see, but it's only part of it. And so you can't have it by itself. You can't have it in the absence of, of, of course, all of this what you're what you're referring to in terms of the the aftercare or the the long term care that actually helps people get healthy. So, is this this step by the province dangerous for some people because it's adding risk until they can get that care? You know, I think we need to step back and remember what's actually been said. You know, to my knowledge, what they're saying is that. Uh, not that harm reduction is ideologically opposed, but that needle exchange programs need to fall in line with evidence. One-to-one needle exchanges are, are well-known and well-known to reduce transmission across uh, across many jurisdictions in the world. And uh, the, the crack pipe and instructions on how to use them and related paraphernalia, you know, I think they're looking at that and saying, you know, what are the, the benefits of that versus the cost? And when you think about the socialization of drug use and illicit drug use in our communities, um, you know, I think you want to look at public health case studies such as tobacco. You know, when we uh, when we take approaches where we don't look to normalize and socialize the behavior, we see tremendous uh, successes and gains over the years. So it's sort of counter to that. And I'd also say, you know, you can look at jurisdictions across Canada, namely in British Columbia, where these strategies have been employed for a number of years now. And, uh, you know, I think there's a, a couple of elements to that. One is you haven't seen the reduction in mortality and, and related harms that uh, have been discussed. I know that there's a lot of 
conversation about the evidence, but my review of a lot of that evidence is quite low quality. Um, but I, one thing I would say is you see a scope creep that takes place. When you don't have a recovery-oriented system of care for individuals to then, you know, move from that initial intervention into that, you know, pro-social quality of life, um, you know, continuum, you tend to see that the strategies over time expand, you know, and now we're at a point in, you know, in the case of British Columbia where you're seeing things like safe supply expanded to, you know, youth without parental consent and things of that nature. So I think it's just a, you know, a step back and saying, look, this is um, and not a philosophical argument against harm reduction. It's saying that we're going to take an, uh, we're going to take a methodical approach to how these interventions fit in that continuum. And uh, it's going to be a full continuum. And so that we don't, you know, over-invest in one area that ultimately, you know, uh, can and certainly lead to people being sort of stuck in that place. Yeah. I think so, you get into the conversation about personal agency. Right. And and I was just going to say, doctor, is that, you know, is that the topic of harm reduction versus harm facilitation? Is is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I think that's a, that's an excellent point. Like, yeah, I think one of the, the things that becomes very murky in that process, and again, I would just point to British Columbia, is that, you know, there's a very fine line, and it's very difficult to see when you're in the middle of it, when you move from, from you know, uh, harm reduction to facilitating the harms themselves. So, uh, you know, on the topic, and I've got lots here I want to talk to you about, and I know we've only got you till the bottom of the hour, but we're talking with Dr. Carson McPherson, the CEO of Rosk Solutions Group. So on the notion of... You know, the, the inhalation kits, though, the crack pipes, the, if the alternative is if a person is addicted, has a substance use disorder and is choosing to smoke, can't get the pipe and now they're going to stick it into their arm. Is there a worry that this is now, you know, that it's the the lethality of of the overdose and any disease spread like HIV if they don't have a clean needle. And part, part of this comes from talking with, you know, a buddy of mine who's a cop in Saskatoon who says they've done such a good job of advocating for uh, sharp disposal. Now, I know we still see them in back alleys and playgrounds. We hear that. We hear that. But lots of, of these safe houses or wherever people are, are consuming drugs have sharp disposal containers. And if they drop it in there, then when they go to the needle supply and they don't have a dirty one to turn in, they don't have the option of getting a clean one. Is, is any of this problematic to you? You know, I, I think I certainly, you know, hear that narrative, and I and I think that uh, there certainly are instances of all of those cases, but I think that we also can over-exasperate them. Um, you know, I, I think what I would just remind folks to look at is what does success look like? You know, if, if the goal is simply that, you know, we're, we're transitioning individuals from intravenous use to, you know, inhalation, I think this government is signaling that they want to transition people from drug use to recovery, and I think that that's a positive. Chatting with Dr. Carson McPherson this morning, the CEO of Rosk Solutions Group, who is uh, working with the Saskatchewan government, working with the Alberta government, and transitioning to this this whole philosophy on a recovery-oriented system of care. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Doc, I want to talk about how your peers view this. We're hearing lots of doctors and people in the health field are critical of this move by the Saskatchewan government. Let's talk about how your peers feel about this and... More on this topic when we come back on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Well, thanks for joining us this morning. We're chatting today with Dr. Carson McPherson, the CEO of Rosk Solutions Group. 
Dr. McPherson has been collaborating with the government of Saskatchewan to shape the province's new strategy when it comes to dealing with the current addictions and overdose crisis. The philosophy is a recovery-oriented system of care. This is also work he's been doing with the Alberta government and joins us this morning. So, Dr. McPherson, just before the break, I mentioned, I'm curious to know, are you in the minority as a doctor, as a health professional, when it comes to this? Because we are hearing many doctors in our community. I saw a recent article from the Canadian Journal of Public Health that are critical of basically this this step away from certain parts of harm reduction. Are you on a bit of an island on this? Yeah, no, I, I don't think so at all. I think you can look at other jurisdictions that uh, that have tried to expand some more novel harm reduction strategies in, in recent years, and the medical communities weren't behind them, namely, you know, safe supply prescribing with a lot of the physician network in, in British Columbia and elsewhere. I think you're seeing a lot of stories around uh, the country right now with doctors that are seeing the uh, consequences of some of these uh, strategies that have had scope creep and sort of lost focus of the intent and the consequences that are taking place with uh, within their clinics. So, no, a lot of my colleagues from across the country uh, um, have you know been chiming in on this and are, are very favorable of what's taking place in Saskatchewan and Alberta and you know a lot of the directions that are seeming to uh, head in other jurisdictions. So when we when we're talking about harm reduction, I know that that the work that you do is not is not void of harm reduction. It it is part of it. Is it safe to say that a a provincially supported medically assisted harm reduction effort is part of it, like prescribing uh, to people that have an addiction, have a substance use disorder, and then surrounding them with services, housing, and supports. Is that part of the system? Absolutely. You know, again, I would point to uh, tobacco for for the listeners to look at that as a public health um, case study. And, and harm reduction is certainly a part of that, and as it should have been with nicotine replacement therapy. But I would caution people when, you know, they hear of these strategies as if they're, you know, kind of the end-all be-all to save and solve the problem, like they weren't in tobacco, they, they aren't in, you know, in addiction. And we've seen that play out now uh, over the number of years. So, um, you know, the reality is all of these things are needed. And, um, you know, uh, a, a cohesion of all of these service providers and, and philosophies needs to take place for the best uh, interest of the individual that needs it. I've talked about this a few times on the show, Doctor, and I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you your thoughts. I've talked about the notion of secure treatment. Um, you know, without belaboring the point, I feel as if if you take the group of people that, that suffer with an addiction, a substance use disorder, there are a portion that are not at a point where they're willing to accept help and not at a point where they can ever get themselves stabilized, where they can they can see their need for help. Is secure treatment something in your mind that, that works? Yeah, I think it's a big discussion in our country right now and certainly in, in Alberta. Um, you know, folks will have seen discussion around the Compassionate Intervention Act that uh, is uh, on the table right now and, and elsewhere in discussions in Ottawa, I think it certainly has a place. And I don't think it's new or novel. We've, we've had this in our mental health uh, system for, for years. You know, a lot uh, is in the details, of course, in terms of how those things roll out and what that means. But, you know, I also want to uh, just mention that when governments make commitments like the government of Saskatchewan has and the government of, of Alberta has to build out a provincial infrastructure for recovery, you know, the, the hopes that individuals and the chronicity of addiction can slow down where we don't need as much of those discussions to take place because we can catch individuals earlier, intervene earlier, younger, when it's easier to treat. 
and uh, you know, then we don't have to think of ways in which we can we can uh, you know look at apprehending or or so forth. Dr. Carson McPherson, my guest. Before I let you go, I I need to ask what what do you believe is the solution to the current addictions and overdose crisis in our communities? Well, I'd be careful to say I know the the solution, but I certainly think that one of the solutions is really the the coming together of all sides. The reality is these are very divisive topics, and I've seen it play out for years in our field between harm reduction and you know the abstinence or recovery community. And the reality is, you know, individuals there's multiple pathways toward to initiate and toward and through recovery. And you know, I think the sooner that we can come together and and have uh, you know some some reasonable understanding of how this would look. Uh, the better the individuals who ultimately need the services will be served. Dr. McPherson, I really appreciate you giving us your time this morning. I'm sure we'll talk more on this topic and and the whole ROSC system as it uh, continues to unfold in the province of Saskatchewan. Thanks for having me. Dr. Carson McPherson, our guest this morning, CEO of the ROSC Solutions Group. ROSC stands for Recovery Oriented System of Care. Weighing in on the decisions being made right now by the government of Saskatchewan, of course, he is one of the ones that is providing some advisory work to them. He's doing similar work in the province of Alberta. And part of that work includes this step back reevaluation, I think is, is how it's been referred to as harm, as harm reduction efforts change in certain areas. I've talked about it on the air. I'm not, I'm still not convinced that stepping away from providing safe inhalation kits and informational material is the right thing to do. Part of it is to me, it's a small amount of money for what potentially saves a lot of risk in terms of even just the spread of disease. The doctor points out why it isn't necessarily the best practice. And, and he obviously has some strong feelings about that. I want to know what you think. We're going to take a break here, and we're going to come back for the next half hour. We'll open up the phone lines, we'll open up the text lines, and we'll talk to you. one 332 8255 Do you agree with the provincial government's decision to scale back on harm reduction? That's the question. We're going to get your thoughts, your answers. It's all a conversation, and we appreciate you weighing in on it. Again, one 332 8255 Do you agree with the government's decision to scale back harm reduction in Saskatchewan when we come back on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM? Well, thanks for joining us this morning. We're talking about how we handle the addiction crisis in our province, the numerous people that clearly are struggling with substance use disorder and addiction. We've got an overdose crisis that is happening at an alarming rate. And this isn't a new topic, right? This, I, I mean, it's been happening for a while. Back in about 2016, 2017, we were seeing meth in our province go through the roof. We were reporting, like, in some cases, 2,600% increases in the number of arrests, in the amount of drug seizures that we were making. I remember the provincial government put together a bit of a task force on drug problems in the province. Deputy Chief Dean Ray and I, when uh, we we were, they, they came through different communities. When they came to Regina, we went and presented, and we talked about the problem that meth was having in our community. Prior to that, I mean, cocaine, there was a few other things. I mean, drugs have been a problem, but meth was extremely inexpensive. It was highly addictive. 
It kept you high for a long period of time. It was very easy to get. And that was just a perfect storm. And it was being manufactured. Not Most of it not here in Saskatchewan, but it was being brought in in globs. And people were easily getting their hands on it. And meth was causing a problem. And it was causing a spike in crime. It was, it was wreaking havoc on our province. Then the pandemic hits in 2020. And we see the supply chain is interrupted. Meth isn't coming into the province in the same way. And that's when we started to see this increase in fentanyl, which had already been a trend on the West Coast, was making its way across Canada. And since then, we've seen fentanyl has taken over in terms of the drug of choice. It is very easy to get your hands on it. And it has dire consequences from a health perspective. People are dying and overdosing as a result of what it does to your body because it basically shuts everything down slows your breathing, slows your heart rate down to the point that you you can die. And so really aggressive efforts at harm reduction have been part of the fight because ultimately we need to do something to get people healthy. This is the basis of any time you talk about drug issues or addiction in general, is if you can, if you can help people out of their addiction to a healthy life, then the worry isn't there that they're going to get sick and die, right? Because you've helped them through it. So harm reduction's role in this is, you know, between now and them admitting they need help, getting help, and getting healthy and clean. Harm reduction plays a role in there. Now, the province has really stepped into this whole notion of a recovery-oriented system of care. We just talked with Dr. Carson McPherson, who has been not only advocating for this, but advising provinces. He's helping the province of Alberta. He's helping the province of Saskatchewan. And part of that is this very delicate balance between harm reduction and harm facilitation. And so the province has made a decision to step back from certain aspects of harm reduction, including handing out safe inhalation kits. The consequence to that is people will likely still do the drug, and if they can't get a pipe to smoke it, they're going to get a needle and stick it in their arm. And with that comes the possibility of disease transmission if it's not a clean needle, um, higher likelihood of overdose. There's a whole bunch of things that come with that style, that way of, of consuming the drugs. Now, Dr. Carson says if the system's set up right, you still have harm reduction as part of it, but you reassess what types of harm reduction you do. And so, really, we're wanting to open this up to you at one 332 Do you agree with the government's recent decision to scale back harm reduction? I got a text here right out of the gate saying, I was shocked to hear the taxpayers are actually paying for pipes. Whoa! That's what the text says. Yes, the government wants to keep them in their addictive state. Taxpayers have no problem with rehabilitation funding, but enabling funding is wrong. If this so-called harm reduction is true, why are they not supplying Nicorette and the patch for smokers? Needles are giving to addicts, but not to diabetics. Anytime you put so-called, if you put so-called harm reduction in there, I mean, I know, I know clearly you're not a fan of it. But there's lots that, that say this is the wrong move. And I want to know what you think. one 332 8255 Mel in Saskatoon is on the line. Thanks for calling in, Mel. What are your thoughts? Is this the right way to go for the government? You know what, Evan? Um, if you're a drug addict, I don't care what you what anybody says, you have to get the drug in you. You know? 
And then if I would rather see someone using a clean, a clean unused needle than using a, a used needle because that's how diseases are spread by using, by somebody using somebody else's needle. And, um, if they have a clean needle, there's, they're not going to be, it's going to be cheaper to, to give them a, a clean needle, like a, a $2 needle than to treat them once they catch hepatitis C or AIDS or something like that. Um, and just, but just to be clear, Mel, and I just want to make sure we're on the same page. They're they're still giving out needles, but they're going to this system where you basically swap a dirty for a clean, right? That's that's fine. That's fine. That's perfect. That's perfect. You know, um, but sometimes in a like when a person gets high, maybe they'll they'll forget it someplace or they'll leave it someplace and just forget that they left it there. Um, I don't know what their situation is because I've never done it, but I'm just saying that may be a possibility. But you know. If a, if a drug addict needs a clean needle, give them a clean needle because they're not going to be um, sharing a needle with somebody else then. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like, that's going to be cheaper than to treat them once they catch hep C or AIDS or something like that. That's that's cost-benefit analysis 101 right there. That's exactly. And so, you know, the notion of a clean needle is still very much alive and well in the province. We have needle exchange programs throughout the province where people can go and get a clean needle. The prerequisite is you can't come in empty-handed and walk out with a bag of 100 needles. Up until, well, up until this announcement, you could. And I watched it happen. I spent some time at AIDS Program South Sask. We used to hand out coffee there over the lunch hour, and that was the time when they would, you know, they'd give out coffee, they'd give out uh, some bread, some sandwiches, and people would come in for clean needles. And I had some very candid conversations with people who clearly are suffering and talked about the importance that the clean needle program, the needle exchange program in the province has. The worry is that if you have, if you want 10 needles and you're coming in with no needles and you walk out with no needles because you have none to exchange, are you then going to use a dirty needle? Now, now what I've heard people say, and I just had a conversation with Rand Teed about this yesterday, is there has been a problem with people coming in getting a hundred needles, loading up 85 of them with drugs and selling them. And then using the other 15 for personal use. Now, maybe there's a whole philosophical discussion there about if they're, even if they're selling them, you know, I mean, it's trafficking. I'm not condoning that, but you know, there it's, it's a clean needle versus a dirty one. That's the essence of, of the harm reduction side of this. The other part, too, and, and again, you know, I'm relying on a lot of my old contacts for this. Uh, sergeant Matt Ingrell, who's with the Saskatoon Police Service, I think he's a sergeant. Maybe he's a staff sergeant. I hope I didn't demote him. He is, he has dedicated his life to a lot of this work. He spent a lot of time as a drug investigator in Saskatoon. He works in the homicide section now in Saskatoon, but he, t- he and I talked on the phone yesterday too. And he says, you know, we're doing so much work to ensure people safely dispose of used sharps that we're asking them to find a sharps container, get a sharps container, put it in the location where you're doing drugs and then put your dirty needle in it after. That doesn't lend itself to walking into a place with your dirty needles, I guess, unless you're taking the sharps container with you. So, you know, there's lots of complexity here. one 332 8255 I got Cecilia on the phone. Thanks so much for calling in today. What is your thought on the government's decision to scale back certain parts of harm reduction? Uh, totally supported. So right move, you All think? All we have to do is look at BC and, and now even Saskatoon, the safe 
drug supply approach means more drugs, more addiction, more drug dealers, more deaths. Look at uh, consumption areas around the harm reduction facility. Addicts are using drugs, they're passing out, they're sleeping, they're selling drugs, etc. There's no exit strategy to get off of drugs with that uh, uh, approach. So the, the, the primary objective should be to help the addict get off of drugs, and that approach is the recovery, rehabilitation, and supportive services type programs that address the underlying problems that is causing that person to be an addict. You know, Cecilia's point about uh, about safe supply, that's not something that we are seeing here. But I, but I mean, the point that, that she makes about safe supply maybe being problematic, we are seeing that in B.C., BC really leaned into, and safe supply is really the notion of you're not only giving a clean needle, you're giving drugs. So you're giving drugs that are, that are known to be clean. And I'm putting clean in quotes because drugs, you know, I think we can all acknowledge are not a good thing to, to put into your body. But if you're going to understanding that it's not mixed with a bunch of other derivatives, don't forget there's no quality control in the drug world. Zero. When you buy meth on the street, fentanyl on the street, you you could be getting anything from arsenic to baking soda in there. You have no idea. These are manufactured drugs, and as a result, you there's no quality control. So the notion of safe supply, which BC has leaned into, is proving to be very problematic. In fact, I just saw a study the other day that talked about the fact clean supply is wreaking havoc in the drug world because people are abusing it and selling it because that is a good drug. In fact, in some cases, they're getting it, they're chopping it up to make it more and selling it. And so, you know, you can find abuse of, of pretty much every system, and that's that's part of the point that Cecilia is making. The, the notion of the fact that we need to do a better job of helping people get healthy, absolutely 100%. That's, that's the theory of this recovery-oriented system of care that the province of Saskatchewan is going to. And again, I'm going to say it, I think they've done a very, very good job so far of at least showing intentional steps forward, bringing about larger um, addiction treatment facilities in the province, leaning into providing more beds, more inpatient, outpatient care, all of that work. It's it's this this middle part. It's this harm reduction part that has really got me worried, and I'm I'm still not convinced that we're doing the right thing. Um, I guess time will tell, but this is what we're wanting your thoughts on. Text lines open for you. Phone lines open for you. We've got a few minutes left. one 332 8255 More on this when we come back on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Morning about addictions, drug challenges in our communities, and the government's recent decision to scale back on some harm reduction efforts. People are weighing in. Rob from Hazlitt texted in saying, Absolutely agree with the government. As long as they put money attacking the real problem, the drug pushers get rid of the drugs, give proper penalties for these murderers. one 332 8255 got time for a couple more calls. I'm going to start with Shelley and Regina. What are your thoughts on the government's recent decision to scale back on some parts of harm reduction? Shelley? I have to say I totally disagree with it. Um, I've recently moved back from British Columbia, where I worked as a pandemic health coordinator during um, COVID, and also I was working as a mental health clinician. 
And I think that it needs a multi-prong approach. And with just taking away the, the, like I said, you know, the crack pipes and the mess pipes and that sort of stuff, I'm like, we're taking away that safety. I'm like, people who are in addictions, you know, we can say, okay, well, just put them into treatment and, and they're going to get better. Well, that's not guaranteed. It's, it's up to the, like I said, to the person where they are in their addiction, you know, and if we can have these safeties in place, especially if they, if they're using IV drugs, you know, this whole thing with now having to take a, a dirty needle into to get a new needle, I don't know. I don't agree with that either because we're going to have increases in the spread of HIV, which is going to put pressures on our healthcare system, which is already almost at the brink of failure. One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. Now there is a counter argument to it, and I think Ed in Martinsville is one of those people that says the people that are addicted need to take some responsibility. Is that where you're coming from, Ed? Yes, Mr. Brady. I'm not happy about the constant every, as you already know, in your former police chief years, you, you had to utilize police resources, firefighter resources, or city resources to go out and pick up biohazard needles in parks, alleyways, neighborhood lawns, et cetera, et cetera. It's, uh, they don't, they just dump them and do their thing and we'll move on to the next fix. And I'm tired of seeing these needles over the place. If this allows them some kind of accountability that they have to bring some of those back, means less of these biohazards all over the neighborhoods or other places, then at least it's something worth trying. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to give that a look and see because the normal thing that I've been approaching with isn't helping much either. And, you know, Ed's not alone in that comment. Uh, I look at the text line here. Josh in Saskatoon says, cheaper not to have addicts exposed to diseases. Fair point. You know what else is important? Keeping our children and general public protected from discarded needles and diseased needles. Maybe I don't want my kid to get hep or AIDS while playing in a park. And sadly, we, we do see that. We can't, we can't deny that we see needles discarded in a way that they are danger to the public. So that, I mean, that's a, that's a whole other issue as well. The, the, the problem is, and the reality is that, you know, you, you eliminate harm reduction altogether. I still believe you're going to find dirty needles. You're still going to have some of these challenges in our community. And that to me is, is a whole other conversation. This is a good conversation. I enjoy talking with Dr. Carson McPherson. Ultimately, Every discussion that we have, it doesn't matter what it is, there's multiple sides to it. And to me, part of a fair, good dialogue is being able to to look at it from all angles, have a good discussion, have a healthy discussion where both sides get to get to have their say, or all sides. Sometimes it's not two, it's more. Um, this is where we are different, by the way, than social media. And I'm not going to go on that rant now because I don't have time. But social media is just an ugly place where people like to say hateful things and then walk away. That doesn't happen here. Listen to our callers that we just had. Ed, Shelley, anyone that's called in today, it's a respectful conversation. Yes, people have their own point of view, but ultimately it informs us and it helps us make good decisions going forward. So thanks for being part of it. And I'm sure this conversation is far from over. We will continue this uh, maybe even tomorrow morning right here on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM.